Welcome to the A-Level Politics Show. I am your host, Nick D'Souza, and today we are going to be focusing on the US Congress, comparing the Senate and the House. Which chamber is more influential, more powerful, more prestigious? Stand by, because we are going to be discussing all of this after the break. If this was a UK question comparing the House of Commons to the House of Lords, I think the answer would be quite uh, clear, actually. The House of Commons has more power than the House of Lords, has greater prestige than the House of Lords, has more influence than the House of Lords. The main reason being is that the two chambers are not co-equal in legislation, that the House of Commons can push through using the Parliament Act and other devices uh, legislation to get its way. Um, that's not to say that the House of Lords is not influential um, and is not listened to, but certainly if it's a question of power, the House of Commons has more power and can use that power. In the United States, it's much more complex than that. Each chamber, the House of Representatives and the Senate, have different exclusive powers that only they as individual chambers can wield. But they also have a number of co-equal powers, uh, which means that each chamber can check each other. And then when we come to the idea of influence or prestige or image, I suppose prestige is a, uh, another word for a positive image or a, uh, a, a sense that this is a powerful body, um, then we have to look at the makeup of the chamber and how it works, how it was supposed to work, um, and my conclusion or my direction right from the off is that when it comes to power, I think it would be wrong to say that the Senate is more powerful than the House of Representatives. When it comes to prestige, you can probably make the case that the Senate has um, greater prestige. It is seen as more influential. It is seen as the more significant chamber. Um, but I think it's a close call, to be quite honest with you. After the break, what we're going to be doing is looking at these exclusive powers of each chamber in more detail. And we're going to be considering, considering the significance of each power. Now, for some reason, students seem to be obsessed with this word impeachment. Um, and they know that the House has the exclusive power, the sole power to impeach. The Senate does not impeach. Um, but students get confused as to what impeachment is. And by getting confused, they overplay its significance. Impeachment does not mean removing a politician from office. Rather, it means the House... Um, has voted to bring formal charges against a public official because, in their view, there is sufficient evidence of, and I quote from the Constitution here, treason, bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanours, end quote. That's Article 2, Section 4 of the US Constitution. Now, only two US presidents, Andrew Johnson in 1868 and Bill Clinton in 1998, and one Supreme Court Justice, Samuel Chase, in 1804, have actually been impeached. So the evaluation of that significance is that the power is rarely used and it does not necessarily lead uh, to a guilty charge and the removal uh, from office. Bill Clinton and Johnson were both acquitted uh, in the Senate. So I think we can perhaps downplay that exclusive power of the House. The other exclusive power 
of the House is that they can elect the president if no candidate has over 50% of electoral college votes. We are going to be doing a separate podcast on what the electoral college is and what electoral colleges, uh, electoral college votes um, are. Um, but it elects the president if no candidate has over 50% of electoral college votes. With only two parties seriously contesting presidential elections, it is possible, though unlikely, for each candidate to get 269 electoral college votes. Um, and this power, however, has only been used twice. That is to say that there's only been a tie in the Electoral College twice in the history of the United States, once in 1800 and another time in 1824. So what happens is that, is that each state, uh, each state's delegation of, of members of the House of Representatives have one vote in the House. So they vote as a block. Um, and do you need to know that? Well, you don't necessarily need to know the technicalities. Um, I think the important thing to note is the last time uh, this power was called into to action was 1824. And so the power is incredibly rare. You don't normally get ties in presidential elections. Um, so again, maybe we can downplay the importance of that exclusive power of the House. Now, the House has the power to begin consideration of all money bills budgets and so forth. So most legislation can begin in either chamber. Many bills effectively pass through both at the same time. But all revenue raising bills, those imposing taxes, for example, must pass through the House first. Given the sensitivity of taxing people, the Founding Fathers wanted to give the House the only elected chamber at that time. The Senate is now elected, courtesy of the 17th Amendment, but at the time it wasn't. So the, the Founding Fathers wanted to give the only elected chamber, the House of Representatives, more influence over taxation than the Senate, the, so the, 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 the then unelected Senate. Now, this power is not very significant, quite frankly, as all House decisions still must be accepted by the Senate um, and budgets and so forth. Um, and that's so different from the House of Lords um, that, uh, due to rules on financial privilege, uh, cannot touch uh, government budgets. And that's because the House of Lords is unelected. Now that the Senate is actually elected, directly elected, just like the House, um, it... it um, doesn't feel that it has to step back from looking at budgets and there's nothing in the constitution that stops them from doing that either. So therefore the Senate can amend and reject House decisions on financial bills just the same as it can on ordinary bills. So I would say that it is essentially co-equal and also recently the Senate has proved more influential um, of the two chambers when it has come to spending bills. Trump's tax reform, for example, was crafted by the Senate and the 2018 budget shutdown occurred as a result of the failure of the Senate uh, to uh, approve measures, which indicates that the big debates on spending are happening in that chamber, not necessarily uh, the House. But essentially, they are co-equal when it comes to money matters, even though uh, one exclusive power that the Constitution sets out for the House is that it has to be first when considering money bills. In practice, that, that doesn't really matter at all. Now let's look at the Senate's exclusive power. Well, it gets to try an impeachment case. So if a president is impeached, uh, then um, it goes to the Senate for a trial. So um, 
A two-thirds Senate vote is then required to remove someone from office. So Clinton was impeached, but he was not removed from office because of the result uh, of the midterm elections in 1998, which saw the Democrats increase their share of seats uh, in the uh, Senate and the House. The Republican failure to gain seats in the Senate was largely seen as a public reaction against the ongoing Republican pursuit of Bill Clinton over the Lewinsky affair. Um, And... um, President Johnson in the 19th century um, and uh, the Supreme Court Judge Chase in the 20th century survived the attempt to, re- to remove them in the Senate. Um, so you can see the Senate can block impeachment um, and it's very, very difficult ultimately to remove an elected official uh, from office due to political changes and political loyalties. Um, basically, um, the Senate is really limited when it comes to trying an impeachment case because they have to wait, just like a court would have to wait, uh, for an impeachment trial to come before them. Um, so uh, for all her talk about impeaching Trump, Elizabeth Warren, who is a senator, has not got her way on impeaching Trump because she's a senator um, and it's the House of Representatives job to decide whether impeachment proceedings should go ahead. Um, so I don't think that's particularly Uh, significant power. It is significant if it is used, but it's very rarely used. Um, The Senate also elects the vice president if no candidate, no presidential candidate has over 50% of electoral college votes. Um, Much like the House, uh, you know, and the House's power to select the president if the electoral college is tied, this power has been rarely used. Now, let's come on to perhaps the two most important exclusive powers of any chamber and certainly of the Senate. The first one is ratifying treaties. All treaties negotiated by the US president are subject to confirmation by the Senate, requiring a two-thirds vote. So Obama achieved ratification of the START Treaty in 2010, a deal with Russia to scale back nuclear arsenals. The last Senate rejection um, of a treaty was in 2012 of an Obama-backed treaty on disabled rights, which gained the support of only 61 senators, so not quite two-thirds. Now, what's the significance of this power? The role of treaty ratification has been eroded, quite frankly, by the president's use of executive agreements. Uh, These are formal agreements uh, that the president signs with other countries that do not require uh, a Senate uh, confirmation vote because they're not considered um, treaties, but they still have status in international law. Both Obama's signature foreign policy achievements, the Iran nuclear deal and the Paris Climate Accord did not take the form of a treaty. It's probably why actually um, Trump has been able to push back against those two agreements. But either way, the Senate has not been able to block them um, because presidents circumvent, that is to get round the constitutional provisions of uh, treaty ratification. I think the most important Uh, exclusive power, uh, belongs to the Senate. And that is because it's frequently used. And that is the power to confirm executive and judicial appointments. Over 1,200 senior appointments um, to the executive are confirmed by the Senate. Cabinet members, some senior members of the president's uh, executive office, and all federal judges, including Supreme Court justices, are scrutinised, usually through Senate committee hearings, with the Senate having the right to confirm or reject a presidential nomination by um, a 50% uh, plus vote. Um, Now, 
is this a significant power? The appointment process has become more politicised in recent years, although a president can expect almost all of their cabinet members to be uh, approved. Um, The extent of scrutiny usually depends partly on the nature of party control of the presidency and the Senate. Um, But nevertheless, the fact that they have this power to say yes or no to the president when it comes to appointments is more significant than anything the House has. And the removal of the filibuster, that's the ability of individual senators to uh, talk a bill to death, uh, has been uh, the case when it's come, it's been removed for um, executive uh, and judicial appointments. It still exists for uh, ordinary legislation. But um, what this means is that the Senate uh, and its ability to block appointments has been limited, especially if uh, you're a member of the opposition party. Because it used to be just one senator could just stand up and talk this confirmation hearing out to death. Um, and um, and that would essentially mean that uh, a judicial appointment would be blocked or an executive appointment would be blocked. Now, uh, the filibuster doesn't exist for appointments, um, but um, still the Senate... Uh, If it was controlled by uh, the opposition party to the president, um, that's not currently the case. But if it if it was, say, uh, then it would be harder for a president to get a cabinet approved and to get um, uh, their judicial appointments approved. Um, And and that means that because they have to make so many appointments, because this is quite a regular thing, I would say this was a very important exclusive power. Now, We've gone back and forth between different powers, but I I would strongly urge you not just to focus on the exclusive powers that these chambers have because they have co-equal powers and because there are other things as well that might affect their influence. And for that reason, we're going to have a short break. And when we come back, we are going to be focusing on an essay plan. And the essay plan is this, evaluate the view that the Senate is a more powerful chamber than the House of Representatives. So um, stay tuned and we'll see you after the break. Now, the essay plan we are going to be looking at using the information that we've gathered in this podcast is the following. Evaluate the view that the Senate is more powerful than the House of Representatives. That word power is very important. Um, because you can stretch out the meaning of power. Does it mean prestige, for example, as in, is it seen as more powerful? Uh, Does it have a positive image? Um, Compared to the exclusive powers, are those exclusive powers more significant uh, than the House? Uh, And what of these concurrent powers that we haven't really talked about an awful lot yet? So we're going to be focusing on those things. Before we go to our direction and what I think about this question. I just want to take us back to the intentions of the Founding Fathers because I think they will help inform our direction. Now, the US Constitution began with elements of the monarchical, that is to say, uh, rule by one. um, That is encapsulated in the presidency. The oligarchic, um, the idea that an aristocracy would have huge influence over that monarchy and that is encapsulated in the senate and the democratic the people's voice and that is really encapsulated in the house of representatives which is elected by the people every two years 
The Senate would be the place of learned discourse. It was to be appointed at first, and although it is now elected as a result of the 17th Amendment, um, it is still elected in staggered elections. That is to say that only one third of the chamber is elected every two years. Um, and each Senate uh, senator has a term of six years. Um, so that means that they are elected for longer. They can therefore think about things other than re-election. They don't have to be subject to popular movements um, and therefore they can deliberate um, they can think about things they can moderate the other forces in government this aristocratic forum as it was known would therefore be less vulnerable to sudden shifts in public opinion as a result, this is, this is perhaps my direction as a result of all of what I've just said the Senate was seen and is still seen as the moderating chamber, or in other words, a place where radicalism goes to die. It is, if you like, the more difficult chamber. And for that reason, it is perhaps more prestigious because it has that reputation of being a difficult blocking chamber. It has arguably superior exclusive powers, particularly uh, powers to confirm presidential appointments. Yet the concurrent powers it shares with the House of Representatives limits the Senate's overall power vis-a-vis the other chamber of Congress. So while it might be described as the difficult chamber, the more prestigious chamber, it is not necessarily the case that it is the more powerful chamber. And after the break, we are going to be comparing um, the concurrent powers of both chambers with the exclusive powers of the Senate. Now, these concurrent powers are shared powers or co-equal powers. They are powers that both chambers wield and they cannot be used exclusively. They must be used together. Um, and the most important of those um, is the co-equal nature of legislation. So a bill to become law must be passed by both chambers. But unlike in the UK, one chamber can permanently block uh, the other. Um, whereas in the UK, um, only the House of Commons can do that. In the US, the Senate and the House can both block each other permanently. Um, so they are co-equal in legislation. Also, two thirds of both houses must vote to propose constitutional amendments. Two thirds of both chambers must vote to override presidential vetoes. So again, co-equal powers. Um, and impeachment is effectively a co-equal power because, as we said earlier, the House impeaches, the Senate hears the trial and finds people guilty or not guilty. Um, However, the Senate enjoys exclusive powers that are superior to those of the House. As mentioned earlier, they have advice and consent powers. They, that is that they confirm nominations to the judiciary and the executive. There are also two other exclusive powers that are not in the Constitution. All of these powers I've mentioned so far are in the Constitution, but these two aren't. And, and the first one is the filibuster. Again, as I mentioned earlier, it's the power to talk a bill to death. And that power belongs to individual senators and they can only be shut down if there's a closure motion 
um, that has the backing of two thirds uh, of um, senators. Um, and so therefore, it's very easy to block legislation. Um, meaningful gun control reform has gone nowhere because of the existence of the filibuster. You know when you pass um, laws through uh, or pass through bills through, you're going to need a supermajority in the Senate to avoid um, a, a filibuster. And this is why John McCain, um, in his vote um, over repealing the Affordable Care Act was so important because it essentially guaranteed that Trump would not be able to get a supermajority overturning um, a filibuster. Um, the other power that the Senate has, it's given itself, and that is the Convention of Senatorial Courtesy. And that's where senators from the same state as a nominee for a particular position, be it to the executive branch or the judiciary, has effective veto power over their appointment. So if I'm a senator from New York and the president wants to nominate um, a judge uh, who's also from New York to the Supreme Court, the idea is, is that if I speak against them, the convention is that, that would not then proceed. Um, now, this has been... Uh, brushed aside recently, uh, so some of these norms are, are are loosening. But senatorial courtesy is still a thing, and it doesn't exist in the House. So overall, um, I think it's fair to say the Senate is, is very much limited by concurrent powers, but those exclusive powers, particularly over important uh, uh, over appointments, still are very very significant. Now, after the break, we're going to be talking about the reality of these exclusive powers. Um, and whether the Senate is actually a more desired chamber. So I'm going to argue that the exclusive powers of the Senate are actually not that effective in reality. Treaty ratification can be circumvented by executive agreements, which have outnumbered treaties by 10 to 1 since 1942. Lots of powers are rarely needed or used, whether it's hearing impeachment trials, um, choosing the vice president if the Electoral College is deadlocked, really with the exception of um, a filibuster in ordinary legislation um, and with um, the confirmation of presidential appointments. Um, with the exception of those two, I would argue that uh, the Senate's exclusive powers are not that much greater than those in the House and that the co-equal nature of legislation means that the Senate isn't that much more powerful um, than the House of Representatives. But it is perhaps the more prestigious. It is the more desirable uh, uh, chamber. What do I mean by desirable? It's the place where aspiring politicians would like to end up. Its members are one of 100 rather than one of 435. Um, that means that uh, they can get promoted more quickly, perhaps to a plum committee assignment, um, and that they enjoy a higher national profile because they represent an entire state, not just a small congressional district. Um, and because of that national profile, the Senate serves as a launch pad uh, for the presidency. Um, if you look at the uh, Democratic candidates uh, to take on Trump in 2020, um, they are mainly um, existing or former senators. Joe Biden, former vice president, but also former senator. Uh, then, of course, we have Bernie Sanders. We have Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, probably the five front runners. Uh, to take on Trump in 2020, all having a relationship with uh, the Senate. 
Um, and so therefore, I would argue that it, it is seen as the, the more desirable and therefore the more prestigious chamber, not necessarily the more powerful chamber, though. And after the break, we are going to be talking about this issue of legitimacy, because that will affect how prestigious the Senate is compared to the House. Now, the Senate arguably has less legitimacy than the House. You could say, for example, that the filibuster is deeply undemocratic. The ability of one individual to talk a bill to death, um, it is anti-majoritarian in that sense because um, it doesn't allow a simple majority uh, uh, to have a say over the bills. You have to get a supermajority and arguably that is too high a hurdle. Um, Its representation is based upon geography, that is it represents states, rather than population size. Uh, So a small population state enjoys the same level of representation as a large uh, uh, population state um, in the Senate. Indeed, the 21 smallest states send 42 senators uh, to the US Senate. So they have 42% of the representation in the Senate, these 21 smaller states, even though those states account for only 13% of the American population. So that's really, really an argument to suggest that the Senate has less legitimacy. It doesn't represent the US population in a proportional manner. Yet legitimacy is just as much a problem for the House. The House is gerrymandered. The Senate is not. Um, What does that mean? In America, politicians have far greater influence over the way that congressional uh, districts are redrawn than politicians over in the UK. In the UK, uh, the Boundary Commission has a big influence over where a constituency starts and stops. Now, imagine you are a politician um, and you want to draw lines uh, that will help you uh, win more seats. That's what gerrymandering is. It's a political process in the United States. We're not going to go into too much detail about it here. But the House of Representatives has been highly gerrymandered, which means there are uh, fewer competitive seats. Um, The Senate as well has been directly elected since the 17th Amendment. So now we can't say that one chamber is elected and one isn't. Um, And even if there is a comparative lack of legitimacy compared with the House, that doesn't necessarily affect the work that the Senate does, nor has it led to limits placed upon it, like in the UK, where the House of Lords is limited by conventions and by acts of parliament. So I think this idea of legitimacy is overblown. Arguably, both chambers are as legitimate or as illegitimate as each other, and that perhaps therefore certainly doesn't affect their constitutional powers. They are what they are. Um, And I don't think it affects the prestige of the Senate either. So how should we wrap up this essay? Is the Senate more prestigious and powerful and influential than the House? Um, Well, this is what I would do. I would underemphasize the exclusive powers of the Senate. They're not that much better than the exclusive powers of the House, with the exception of the filibuster, and even that's been limited, um, and um, of um, confirming presidential appointments. Um, 
actually, in reality, the co-equal nature of legislation, the concurrent powers uh, of both chambers means that they check each other. And so the power of the Senate is not that much greater uh, than the House, in all honesty. So under-emphasise the exclusive powers and over-emphasise prestige. The Senate is the place to go if you want to run for President of the United States. And who knows, um, the next president could be Senator Warren, former Senator Biden, Senator Harris, etc. Um, or it could be Donald Trump. Um, I'll leave you with that thought. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do uh, leave a review, uh, especially in Apple Podcasts, if that's where you listen to this, um, because that will help others uh, to find out more about us. Um, and we'll be ne- back next time with another hot political topic. Um, so we'll see you next time. Bye bye.